Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Jeff in the studio with us today. And Jeff's here today not as entomologist Jeff, but as new DREC head Jeff Gore. So, Jeff, good to see you, man. Yep, good to see y'all. So, when's this going to come out? I know sometimes we pre-record stuff. This is going to come out on the day that you are the official new boss. Okay. So, next week. Right. Jeff's not technically... Well, he's technically the boss now, too, because he's interim boss, and then he'll be permanent boss Tuesday. So at that point, I won't be an entomologist at all anymore. No, you'll always be an entomologist, man. That's right. Everybody always wants to know what the little bug is on their bushes or crawling I mean, up their wall I'll, or whatever. I'll not bother you as long as Don's accessible, but at the point that Don <laughs> becomes <laughs> inaccessible, then I'm going to start bogging you down again. No, that's all right. Is I by no means am qualified to answer any entomology problems. You know, you know, it's been amazing about that is about this past summer being the interim and I didn't field really hardly any phone calls and didn't spend a whole lot of time in the field. I did got out some and helped Whitney and Don collect data and things like I, that. I, I said yesterday I think I saw you coming or going from the direction of a field maybe like three times four yeah. times but it's amazing how quickly you get out of touch with what's going on out there in the real world i was just appreciative to see an experiment station director running around in a cutoff t-shirt and shorts that wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the director that day he was in a yeah. that day. okay fair enough that's right that uh, was the because he's he was an interim so he could flip-flop back and forth i hope he doesn't grow out of that just <laughs> just me all right, Jeff, you know you're not going let to you, let you out of the cool question. So with, with Tom's the, been simmering on this one, and he's been waiting for the person that was just in the right age bracket. Yeah, because Jason and I had gone back and forth with this since like the 19th of October. It hit me one morning, but I'll, I'll hit you with it. Reckon your life would have been different if your parents had chosen a Betamax player versus a VHS how do you know mine didn't? Ooh. I'm just convinced based on the fact that you get along with all the rest of us and see eye to eye and have some similar experiences that your parents went with the VHS player. I'm trying to remember what we had. I think it was VHS. Really and truly, I think Betamax was probably even gone before we got our first See, that's what I thought when he, video when he recorder. When Tom brought that up to me one day. I know what he's talking about, but I think by the time we had anything like that. Well, I mean, they, they were out, and I knew what they were. I mean, right. I was old enough, but we just but didn't. They were extremely short-lived. We were, we were one of those, you know, they, they talk about technology. I don't, I, I don't know who they are. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pundits. But you hear people talk about when new technologies come out, there's the few that are the early adopters, and then after a few years, the bulk of the population jumps on board. And I th my parents were really the last to do anything. Like, we were the last to have a microwave. I vividly remember having a party line. There was like oh, yeah. five houses on the yeah. – I mean, all the houses down our road. Yeah, we were the last ones That's a thing, get... Tom. That oh, no, a, no, I know. I'm looking at you because I remember having a – I'm trying to choose my words carefully so that I don't get pitched under the bus or ridiculed for the rest of my existence after everybody listens to this. But our family had a home on a lake and it had a party line. 
I was not a portion of the family that had the home. It was, <laughs> it, was it was the older generation from the eastern part of the country that Bobby would harass me about my my blue blood upbringing from the northeastern United States. I understand. Yeah, but I remember. I mean, we were the last ones to get cable, and I was. I mean, I was so jealous of all my friends because we'd go over to their house and watch cable TV and they had a remote control instead of me being the remote control <laughs> to go up and change the channel. Rabbit ears that you're trying oh, yeah. to get in the right direction. Yeah, I add some tinfoil to the top of them. Oh yeah. We, we were the same way in the Allen house. So I, so I think Betamax had already kind of fallen off the wayside before my parents ever bought a video recorder. Yeah, and actually the only reason they, they bought one, I remember this now that you bring that up, video cameras and everything were still fairly new when I was in high school. And I think it was my junior year of high school is the first person had a video camera and started filming our football games. And so that's why my parents bought a VCR was to be able to get the videos of the football games. Jeff is here, as we mentioned, as the new head of DREC. Tom, I'm going to take sole responsibility for making that happen since I was on the search committee. Drew had a little bit to do with it. He was there too, but Drew's not sitting here, so I did it. <laughs> okay. So I can blame you when things go south. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I backed into that, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll own that. I don't it's think a, it's a good administrative go, response. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go south with you in that chair. So Jeff, man, awesome. Proud for you. Hate that you're not going to be Counting bugs and, and solving problems anymore, but you left that. Oh, I'm in. still going to be solving problems. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I meant. You know what I meant. Bigger uh, bugs. But you left that in very capable hands, and uh, we certainly appreciate your willingness to be the the new head of DREC. Yeah, you know it was something that throughout my whole career is. I mean, I never wanted to do this. I remember talking to you about. <laughs> not want to do it yeah <laughs> fairly um, recently i mean you don't just choose to be an entomologist for the heck of it it's because i loved what i did yep and i don't think i'll ever love anything as much as i loved being an entomologist and doing research on insects but you know i'm seeing the younger generation of scientists come along and things are changing a lot from a science standpoint and i mean i don't want to be that old guy that's hanging around and all the young ones are going, man, I wish he'd go ahead and retire and get on out of here, get out of our way, let us do our job. So, And I don't know if that's the right way to think or not, but it was time to take on a new challenge, I guess. Well, Jeff, everybody knows who you are or most everyone that's going to listen to this. If they don't know you, they know you by reputation. You started that, but I guess develop out a little bit more about what you're what was going through your mind when you did decide to commit to making that change from being very applied, hands-on entomology, you know, out in the field and working directly with growers to taking on an equally, if not more important role as coordinating a group of us that were doing similar work to what you were previously? I don't really know what was going through my mind, but one of the things that I've enjoyed through my career is developing graduate students and seeing graduate students grow. And that's why I wanted to keep doing what I was doing. You know, there was maybe 10 years ago, one of the companies came to me and was offering me the world, you know, a truck and a huge salary and 
all of that. And I was working on one of our former graduate students' thesis at the time. I mean, they were promising me the world. You know, it was an awesome opportunity. I've never been the kind that really cares about money and those kind of things. And it was a graduate student that was, in the beginning, was a pretty good struggle. Not from a work ethic standpoint, but y'all know having graduate students from a writing standpoint, there's different degrees of bad in graduate students, and there's very few that are good writers. But I was working on his thesis and had seen his growth from when he started to when he wrote that thesis. And that's something that really drove me a lot in the research that I did and just being a faculty member here at DRAC. And so, and I, I never thought about this, but actually Dr. Coble's the one who mentioned it to me when he and um, Dr. Jackson asked me to serve as interim when Steve was going back to campus. And he mentioned, you know, seeing young faculty kind of develop their careers the same way from his time as a department head. And he he's said that he got a lot of reward from seeing that. I've kind of seen it, you know, just in what well, it's been 11 months now since I've been interim. And I'm already seeing some of that same kind of thing. We have several young faculty here and I don't want to sound like I'm going to try to influence what they do but or tell them what to do. But being able to kind of guide them through their careers, I can see kind of that same motivating factor that is something that, that I see that I'm going to enjoy with this job. I don't think you're influencing them at all in their actual research program. But, man, everybody needs everybody needs some guidance. I mean, oh, yeah. I remember starting grad school, I was just kind of too stupid to know what I didn't know. And then – but by the time I started – my first job when I was at the Rice Station in Crowley, I was keenly aware of what I didn't know, and, and it was intimidating. With these younger folks here now, there's guys like us that have been doing this for a long time. You know, we've done it 15 or 20 times through the cycle of the year, so we have a, a system, and when you're developing that system, man, to be able to knock ideas off of somebody that has done it before is a uh, to me, a huge asset. Yep, and then, and then the really cool thing is to see them take the things that you've taught them and go a little bit further. Make it better. Yeah, yeah, and that's really what's pretty awesome about these jobs. I'm just in awe of the conversation because I think that's, we all learn something new, I think, on this experiment station. When I say we, I, I know I do, definitely, just about daily, uh, and that's, you know, I owe a lot of that to the two of you sitting in this room as well, that I've been sometimes guided enough to ask the right questions and then other times misguided to make a ton of mistakes. But I think in a lot of cases, regardless of where you are in your career in a faculty position, you will continue to make mistakes regardless of where you are in your point in career. And that's, that's a tough thing sometimes to embrace. Yeah, well, I mean, mistakes are important. For, oh, I, for growth and learning. Um, you, you will learn more from making a mistake than you will from doing something right all the time, absolutely. I think. And that, that definitely, I've seen where it's helped me a lot more. And then you just have to be uh, mindful that you have to figure out how to get over that and not do it again the same way to continue to make the same mistake. No doubt. Along with that mentoring aspect, Jeff, what would you say is 
maybe some of the hallmarks of your leadership philosophy? I don't know. You know, the one thing that I've always appreciated from previous leaders is them giving me what I needed to be successful and then leaving me alone. Amen. And I don't know if that's what you're getting at with that question, but my philosophy has always been if somebody's doing their job, then they don't need me. I'm just going to be there to break down barriers or figure out a way to navigate around barriers that are getting in their way and give them the support that they need and, you know, try to not necessarily shield people from the many distractions that can come along in a university and with research and, you know, a career like this, but, you know, just help them navigate that and try to minimize the number of distractions. I think, too, going back to the younger folks that we have, some of the overwhelming part of this job that, that we've all chosen to do, there can be a lot of shiny object and you can spend a whole lot of time chasing a bunch of different things and then maybe not doing one big thing well right and that's one thing i try to emphasize to folks is pick something and and dial it in tight where that's kind of your thing yeah that's that's exactly what i tell people too especially new faculty is find your niche figure out which you're going to be the expert on and, and get after it. Yeah. I mean, you can, you're still in these roles, especially at a R&E center like this. You're going to have to work on a lot of things and know a lot about a lot of things. But from a national and professional standpoint, you need to be at least one of the go-to people on something. I think that's important for that development as a scientist and as a professor and going through the promotion process. I hear a lot, not not a lot, but basically every young faculty from assistant even up to associate is a lot of their focus is on building their CV and getting promoted. And that's what, I don't know if drive's the right word, but that's what their motivation is for everything that they do is building the CV, building the CV and getting promoted. And I never approached my job that way. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I I think I give them is don't worry about your CV and your promotion. Worry about serving your stakeholders and your clientele and your CV and all that stuff will take care of itself. People think of stakeholders as growers, which the growers at R&E Center are stakeholders. But the scientific community is also a stakeholder of ours. I mean, that's what we're here for is the academic scientific discovery. And so that's where publications and those kind of things come in. So you want to serve that scientific community, but also serve the growers and serve the people of the state that we work in. Shift gears on you just a a little bit, Jeff. Strategically for DREC, which we all affectionately referred to as Stoneville. You've had some time as the interim, and now you have the opportunity for that job to be permanent. So strategically, what's your plan moving forward for the facility? And not necessarily the physical facility, but just DREC. I mean, we've kind of been talking about younger faculty and some philosophies there, but strategically, where would you like to see DREC sometime in the future? 
Well, I mean, I think at some time in the future, I want to see us right where we are right now. You know, this R&E Center has been here since 1904. So what is that, 118 years now? And nothing lasts that long without being relevant. And that's what DREC and Stoneville, and I, I like that, you, that people refer to it as Stoneville a lot of times, but Stoneville has been relevant for a long time, and we've continued to be relevant. And if we're going to continue to be here and be successful and get the support that we get, we're going to have to continue to be relevant for a long time. I think one of the most important things that makes Stoneville relevant is there's not a lot of consideration about MAFIS and Extension or Mississippi State and USDA or you know, any of the groups that we partner with around here. And that's an important thing that makes Stoneville unique is the partnerships that we have with other groups such as USDA, ARS, Delta Council, YMD. You know, there's a lot of groups that we basically partner with and collectively are known as Stoneville. And I think that's real important that we maintain that togetherness among all these groups and work together, you know, especially with a lot of the uh, ch the challenges that are coming forward in science and in agriculture from a regulatory standpoint. You know, having those unified voices between the university and growers through groups like Delta Council and Farm Bureau and USDA is going to be extremely important moving forward to continue to allow growers to continue to be profitable and grow crops the way that they've grown them for many years. I was just thinking when you mentioned that you were in that podcast we had with Don Parker on the Endangered Species Act. Of course, we had the big tour with the EPA administrators that Farm Bureau facilitated. Delta Council was involved in that. And of course, Don with the, the Cotton Council. And then you and I were texting about that one day and basically said we're this is beyond our ability right now. But the things we were talking about related to some labeling issues with some pesticides is still getting done, but it was getting done in cooperation with our partners. So right. Delta Council making a huge contribution to that with endangered species. And then, of course, Farm Bureau doing the things that they do. So yep. I agree that there's a lot of things that we can't do just it's either not part of our charge or we're not able. We don't have the, the means to do it. But then we have the luxury of having some partners here really close that do have the means and, and responsibility to do it. Right. And, and, and I think we're an important component of them in that we provide them the information that they need to then go on to Washington, D.C. or, you know, wherever and fight those fights. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of synergism in the relationships that we have around here. Yep. Well, our expertise in applied field-based research continues to mean that, and from what I hear you saying, that allows us to remain relevant within the scientific community. Yeah. And how do we continue that then moving into the future? Uh, because that's a really important thing to look at over the top of the hill at this point. Well, it's, it's getting more and more difficult really. And, you know, I notice that as we advertise for faculty positions that the 
applicant pool is different, and I don't mean different demographics or anything like that. I just mean that the the science that they do is different than when I was in school. One, I don't know if a fundamental, one change that I've seen over the years, and, you know, I've been doing this counting grad school, what? 25, 25 years. Because yeah. um, I'm, right, I'm right on the same track with you, brother. <laughs> and it's, that's a fairly long time. You know, it's quarter of a century yeah. I've been doing this. So a lot of things have changed, and things are changing faster and faster every year. But the policy used to be influenced by science. So science that was being done would change some of the policies, whether it be at the state or federal level or, you know, at a local level, you know, whatever. But I'm seeing more now, more and more, that, Policy is influencing science, and you see that in a lot of the uh, the grants that come out, the call for proposals. I mean, they're extremely focused on cover crops or climate change or, you know, whatever it might be. And so a lot of the research that's being done in universities, and those are all important things, but they tend to be long-term problems. And those are important for somebody to study. But we're not seeing a lot of students come out that are working on a lot of those short-term problems. From our standpoint in ag, it's that growers face, but I'm sure it's the same in a lot of different kinds of disciplines and scientific research that goes on a lot of universities and and places. that There's not a lot of short-term research being done. And, you know, I don't know if short-term research is better than long-term research or which one's better or more rigorous or scientific or whatever, but they're both extremely important. And that's where we come in at an R&E center like this is we need to have people here that are willing to, I hate to use the word cave in, but cave in to what the granting agencies want just to get that grant and do some of that research that's not going to have the immediate impact that a lot of our growers in this area need. And that may have been a lot of rambling about nothing, but... The example I was thinking about, the most satisfying things that I've done over the years from research was on the the occasion that you go look at a problem in a field somewhere, and then the following year you're able to come closely reproduce that in some kind of field plot situation and come up with an answer to that problem you saw the year before and then take it back to the farmer or the consultant. And one specifically, the very first summer I was here, we had a problem on some rice that year up in Cleveland. Tim Walker and I, the next couple of years, we close to recreated that situation. We communicated the results back to the grower. He adjusted his scheme and went from there, and it eventually landed in a journal. Well, so now, 16 years later, I had three people call me about that this summer because it just wrapped back around, history repeats itself, that yep. some of the same environmental stuff came up and, and the, a similar problem happened again. So yeah. 
we've done some other probably really sciencey cool stuff, but it's not near as satisfying as doing something and then being able to go back to that grower or consultant that you know. I mean, yeah. you have a personal yeah. relationship with those guys too because we're right here and being able to help them adjust their management and do a better job in the future. Yeah. Along those same lines is standing there giving a grower a recommendation based on research that you've been done. And then at the end of the year, that grower come back and tell you, Hey, I want you to know you saved me X amount of dollars on that decision. You helped me make. Um, sure beats the alternative phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, we are wrong sometimes. We are. And uh, we are wrong. some. going to have, that's just part of science. Yeah, and and I would agree. I mean, I think that's the most satisfying thing about working on an experiment station is having that immediate gratification that something you did benefited someone in that season. And, you know, I think there are probably multiple times that we don't get a telephone call about how that turned out. And that's not saying that it was bad. Sometimes that's difficult to measure. Hunter Bowman, new rice specialist, and you he and his family are living in Cleveland now, and he talks about bumping into people like going out to eat lunch after church on Sunday yep. and basically spending an entire afternoon talking to folks, folks, you know, recognizing him and coming and introduce himself, want to chat for a minute. So, you I mean, you live and work in the community with the people that you're servicing. And so the way I've described it is this is just my contribution to the ag industry in the Delta got growers obviously that are the backbone of it but then they have consultants we have retailers there's us and we're all making a contribution to helping that growers bottom line and this is just what i do i could have very easily be a consultant or work in another aspect of the industry and this is just what i chose to do right what about needs looking forward, Jeff? What do you think the experiment station system, those of us here in Stoneville, what do you think we need to continue to be relevant into the future in your role as the experiment station director? One of the major things that I've noticed being in interim that I kind of knew a little bit but didn't know as much as I thought I did is a lot of our infrastructure here is, you know, at DREC we have about, 80 buildings and structures on this experiment station. Some of them are big, and, you know, we have a lot of smaller tractor sheds and shops and, and those kind of things. And over half of them were built, I don't remember the exact years, it was either the, before the 50s or 60s. And so as state budgets have decreased and university budgets have gotten more and more strained as we've had a lot of deferred maintenance. I don't know that I'm going to be able to do anything about it. I'm definitely not going to be able to do everything in my time in this job, but, you know, that's going to be one of the biggest things that we need to focus on or I need to focus on is figuring out ways to at least make those buildings and structures last as long as we can, and prioritizing which ones we need to direct resources to and which ones we just need to let go. And it's sometimes you just have to do that. They're not always going to be easy decisions, but they're decisions that I'm going to have to make at some point, and you know, we'll make them and move on, right or wrong. We thank you for your time.
Yep. Always glad to be here. Appreciate what y'all do with this podcast. And we appreciate that you have taken one for the team and are <laughs> moving into that role as much as I know that that will probably, yeah, I'd like to think that you'll look back at that as a great decision. Well, you know, I think I'm hitting it at the right time. There's been a lot of change in the university over the last year from the vice president on down. And I think we have a good group above me that are committed to making Mississippi State the best that it can be on the ag side. And I think they're committed to helping not only Delta Research and Extension Center, but all the R&E centers around the state improve and address the things that we need to address and give us the tools we need to do the things that we need to do. So I think we're in a really good spot right now. And I'm pretty fortunate to be the head of DREC with the people that I that we have above me right now in, in those positions. Well, I can speak at least for Tom and I. We're proud you're there, and we look forward to working for you. So uh, if we can do anything to help you, then we're here for you. All right, look, I'm here to serve y'all. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.